Word, I'm gonna say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on this episode of Word, arguing for bad language? Like, literally, dude? What's really interesting is our ideas about bad language are really often more tied to our ideas and our stereotypes about the speakers of those features. Plus, a rapid-fire play examines the search for love and dignity by single Black females. These two women are letting you into their lives and trying to describe what it is to be a single Black woman in America. But first... Popular music star Lizzo is the subject of a new graphic short story series titled Female Force. It's the brainchild from Tidal Wave Productions creator Darren G. Davis and was illustrated by artist Pablo Martinena. And while Davis is based in Oregon, Lizzo is a superstar and role model for many, including those in the valley and across the region. When I caught up with Davis recently, I was curious about his initial spark for the series. We started off doing a lot of fiction comic books, and then in 2008, we broke into the biography comic book world. And we started off doing a series called Female Force, which is uh, about female empowerment. And we're still doing that series to this day. And we started off doing Hillary Clinton and Sarah Palin in the 2008 election. And we did it in a way that whether you liked either one of them, you had to respect them as women and where they came from and what their accomplishments are. And so we've been doing that, plus other books, for 23 years. How do you choose the subject matter for this particular series that you're working on with Female Force? Some people will request people that they would like to see. We just did one on Reba McIntyre. We did a Dolly Parton one, and that did really well for us. Somebody actually suggested that. But otherwise, my background is in entertainment, and I worked at Entertainment Television for about seven years. So I learned straight out the bat to know who's going to be current now, who's going to be current in 10 years, and you know who's going to be like a one-hit wonder and we always kind of want to stick with people that are going to be around for a while and and especially with the female four series we definitely want women that have made a difference in the world speaking of which lizzo definitely has and is a fantastic role model for so many people and, and you chose her to be part of this female force series apart from the fact that there's kind of a coincidental birthday that's falling around the publication of this, why did you choose Lizzo as a subject matter? You know, for me personally, not only do I like her music, but I just, as you said, she is a great role model for women. You know, she is somebody that has had a lot of heat behind her, but also she has a lot of drive and ambition. And especially all the stuff with her body positivity, she really gives girls a great role model. And what's kind of cool about this one is I usually don't write a lot of the biographies. I've maybe done a handful of them myself, but I usually pick them, publish them, edit them. And um, this is actually one I got to write myself. And it was such a joy to do this, just seeing how her career flourished. 
I want to talk about the process of actually getting a popular media star to agree to something like this, because not everybody wants to wind up in a comic book or a graphic presentation. Not that you could twist her arm, (laughs) because she's certainly her own person. How did that start? How did that work out? With this one, we actually did not work with her. We do work with a lot of celebrities, and we've done it in the past. Sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. We've worked with Ellen DeGeneres. We've worked with Olivia Newton-John, Gloria Steinem, and Anne Rice. But for the Lizzo one, we did not, because we are within our First Amendment rights, and she's a public figure. We are able to do her life story as long as we don't infringe on copyright or trademark, which we wouldn't do. And we've worked with Britney Spears and Taylor Swift in the past as well, too. As you indicated earlier, your experience with e-entertainment television, I would expect you have a pretty big Rolodex, but not that you're always able to use (laughs) it, right? Exactly. (laughs) And these are so much fun to do because as a kid, I grew up in Los Angeles and I was a huge person about fandom. And so I used to collect Teen Beat magazine. I would collect TV Guide (laughs) magazines. And so this is just another sort of way that fandom is achieved. You know, biography comic books have been around since the 50s, you know, doing Bob Hope or Jerry Lewis. And so we're just sort of the next generation. Darren Davis is with Tidal Wave Productions, which produces the Female Force series. And the most recent is Lizzo. Just in time for her 35th birthday. Darren, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You can find out a bit more about Tidal Wave Productions by visiting our website, word.kjzz.org. Coming up, arguing for bad language? Like, literally, dude? I'm Tom Maxidon. And you're listening to Word. It's a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. KJZZ and The Moth are bringing you The Moth Story Slam. It's an open mic storytelling competition in Phoenix. It's at the Crescent Ballroom on Thursday, May 18th. The topic is gossip. Stories about a rumor that raised eyebrows or earned you a nasty or fabulous rep in the office or in the family. Tales of the Unfact Checked. Tickets and information at themoth.org slash events. Rio Salado College is proud to offer affordable online bachelor's degrees in high-demand fields such as teaching and public safety administration. Invest in your education and career without financial burden. More information at riosalado.edu. Every day, you listen to KJZZ for fact-based news, and here's a way to help ensure that the news will stay on the air. When you buy a new car, donate your old one to KJZZ. We'll take care of the details. More information at cars.kjzz.org. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Our next guest is a professor of linguistics at the University of Nevada, Reno. Valerie Friedland recently released a fascinating book titled, Like Literally Dude, Arguing for the Good in Bad English. She weaves together history, psychology, science, and laugh-out-loud anecdotes that explain why we speak the way we do. For instance, early in the book, Friedland writes, speech defines and is defined by the gender we identify with and the ideologies we operate under, and gives an example of men dropping an F-bomb, while women are likely to substitute the word fudge. Although she admitted during a recent convo that may not be a universal practice, including in her own family. 
Well, let me just say I have teenagers, one girl and one boy, and neither of them say fudge. So <laughs> I might be <laughs> aging myself there. But, you know, I think a lot of what we notice in language is not so much tied to the information that we're transmitting purely with the words, the literal content. It's the social information and the information about who we are and the relationship we think we have with whoever we're speaking with or whomever, depending on how formal you want to be. And that's a perfect example right there of a change that you would make to take on different personalities. So if I say something like, to whom are you referring? You're not going to invite me out to the bar to kick back and do a few tequila <laughs> shots. <laughs> because by choosing that in conversation, you're thinking, what a smug, uptight, pretentious person. It has meaning that's social about it. And when I do other things like, say, walk in instead of walking, I also transmit social information with that. But what's interesting is if I'm a girl or a boy or a woman or a man or identifying as non-binary, how I interact and engage with those forms is going to be different because not of biology, but the social powers and pressures that I operate under. And for women in particular, this often means that we've been held to higher standards in our speech. So women we find use more standard forms and less slang, less obscenity, um, and especially when they get to be adults. And for men, it means that they're drawn to words that often also connote a physicality, a roughness, a toughness, which is often linked to obscenity, but also non-standard features or ethnic forms. Not because necessarily speakers of those ethnic forms are tougher, but because of the stereotypes we have about speakers of those forms, which gives off this air of nonconformity, of toughness, of street. And those things are simply more attractive depending on the gender we've been raised as. A lot of features of speech have been called out, as you mentioned, as quote-unquote bad English, word usage that is identified with race, ethnicity, socioeconomic class, etc., all play into that notion of quote-unquote bad English, right? And I'm specifically thinking of the word acts as opposed to ask. Yes, that's a perfect example of a feature that has become strongly marked for ethnic membership. But what's really interesting is our ideas about bad language are really often more tied to our ideas and our stereotypes about the speakers of those features rather than anything inherent in those linguistic forms themselves. Because acts is actually an older form than ask. And it's called metathesis, the process of switching sounds around. And the word tax, for example had a metathesis from the word task. So tax used to be task and ask used to be ax. So this was a very common process in older forms of English. Somehow, though, because one form gets associated with one group of speakers that society finds disfavorable or they don't have the same social power, then often the features associated with their speech get sort of pushed down as bad features rather than just recognized as alternative features that also have a history. And we basically erase that history by calling them bad. So instead of right. being a feature that is dispreferred and it has a history and evolution, instead it's just a bad feature. So we don't look at how it came to be. Yes. And the fact as well that language is mutable, it's changeable. That's why we had the great vowel shift for those who are wonky like us. But the word awful, for instance, literally used to mean full of awe. Now it means completely the opposite, right? Exactly. And same thing with hardly. What's the root of hardly? 
hard. Right. And that doesn't mean easy, but we use hardly to mean easy. So if I said, oh, it was hardly any trouble, I don't mean, oh my gosh, I did that with such great difficulty. It was a real pain. (laughs) But that's actually the original meaning of hardly. Hardly met with great difficulty or vigorously. And now it just means, oh, it was easy, not a big deal. But literally, use non-literally, is in our moment right now. And we still know both meanings. And that's why it bugs us so much that one meaning is the opposite of its original meaning. But again, it's something we've done through history. And we just gave two perfect examples of doing the exact same thing. But because it happened before we were born, it doesn't bug us. Literally bugs us. (laughs) Well, let's talk about something that's personal for me. And this is folks who are born after I was. I'm a Gen Xer. Why do I hate it? When people say important instead of important, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a Gen Z millennial thing, but I hear it all the time now. Yes. And you also hear things like kitten and mountain where they also, and that's actually a shift in stress. So what's happening is from the kitten mountain and important that we have said prior to this time, now there's a shift where the last syllables more stressed than it was before. So you, you're articulating a little more and it also causes sometimes some shifts in how much you pronounce the, the sound, the consonant sound that precedes them. But let me just say that most people today would say you pronounced the word O-F-T-E-N as often, right? not often, even though historically the T was there and prior to the 15th century, it was part of the way we articulated it. So I think, again, it's one of those cases, we're living that moment, we don't like it, but we've done the same process, we just don't notice it. I also wonder if it has to do possibly with folks who might be trained in choirs, for instance. I know that I was taught to pronounce that T in often. I wondered if that was a possibility as well, depending upon training, not necessarily socioeconomic background or class or race. But of course, that training is imbued with the history behind it, right? Absolutely. And certainly things like that can have an influence. I think a lot of people put the T in there because of the spelling. And we find spelling pronunciations have been something that are a thing in English for quite a while, at least since the 18th century, when literacy became more important. and the primacy of the written word became what people focused on. And therefore, if it says it in the spelling, we feel like we should say it in the articulation, which is, I think, really what drives the pronunciation of the T and often. Like literally, dude, arguing for the good and bad English is the latest from Valerie Friedland. I want to thank you so much for coming to words. And I wish I had all day, but I don't. But thank you so much, Valerie. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You can find out a bit more about Valerie Friedland on our website, word.kjzz.org. Coming up, a rapid-fire play examines the search for love and dignity by single black females. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. It's a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. You want to know, and you can rely on KJZZ. It's more than just a sports arena. It'll have the Rodeo Drive of Arizona with high-end shops and high-end dining that Tempe deserves. KJZZ is the Valley's news leader and your source for a variety of information. Listen to KJZZ on air, online, and on your phone. 
KJZZ is offering original podcasts like Sun Up. Hobbs critiqued the dozens of bills she's rejected and said she refuses to play political games with state government. It says restricting mifepristone would pose serious health risks by making abortion more difficult to access. Climate change has reduced flows and dropped reservoirs to all-time lows, so the releases have stopped. It's the morning news podcast from KJZZ News. To start your day, get it at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. A new production of Single Black Female runs May 12th through the 14th at Phoenix Hostel and then moves to Flagstaff from May 19th through the 21st. The play was written by Lisa B. Thompson and stars Phoenix-based actresses Sunita Agent and Raquel McKenzie. It offers a rapid-fire examination of the search for love and dignity by single African-American middle-class women. Recently, I caught up with both to discuss the production and began by asking Agent how many characters she plays and whether she has a favorite. Maybe about six different men. (laughs) And I'd have to say the whole series of the men that try to holler at the other girl, that's my favorite line of characters to play. That whole string, that whole entire scene, every single one of them. Maybe the African guy is probably my (laughs) my most favorite. (laughs) What are the challenges playing somebody of an opposite gender and how do you maybe prepare differently or do you? Awesome question. For me, sadly enough, I've interacted with men like this. So I kind of get to draw from my past experiences with said men. I guess the challenge really is just switching so quickly between them because there's literally like half a second before I'm someone else. But Preparation is pretty much the same. Draw from what I know, what I've experienced. I want to get to that character switch up here in just a bit. But Raquel, same question for you. Do you have a favorite? Are you sort of in love with all of them? Maybe a little in love with all of them. I know I definitely play 10 characters for sure that range in age. So the task becomes slightly a little difficult because you have to have 10 women sound and look differently also than myself. One of my favorite characters is the teenager who works at The Gap. She's so abrasive. You'll know, you're like, oh yes, we've all been there. (laughs) And I think that's the most comical part. But as far as like from a theatrical standpoint, the aunts, the aunts are my favorite because they're Southern black women, but they're all a little bit different and they literally come in back to back to back. So the switch has to be precise in voice and body. And for me, that is a challenge as an actor. And and I enjoy that. How do you deal with that challenge, Raquel? How do you not get confused? Are there like stylistic things that might help with those cues, wardrobe? There is wardrobe for sure, because I think visually the audience needs that Uh, for this show or any show that is the same manner. But I also try to put their voices differently. I love character work and character analysis in general. So my first thing I do, I'll write like, oh, this person is the smoker. This person is a Southern Belle. This one is faking it for the funk. And so when I see that in my script, I'm like, oh, that's right. This woman stands up straighter. She has her scarf wrapped this way. She uses her hands in this way. And her voice is this pitch. And that's something I love to do while I've been directing and acting. So it's just making everything specific is really what it comes down to. 
Sanita, same question in terms of preparation for this. And you do things like, I don't know, talk to yourself in a mirror, for instance, try and come up with cues, how you might move your face or your body so that you can help remember the lines and deliver them in a different way so that the audience does know this is a different character. Oh, for sure. It definitely helps a lot to see what the audience is going to see. But a lot of times it's in the rehearsal hall. It's in the room getting to act alongside Raquel, feeling what's natural. And then, you know, taking the cues from our director, Ray Lawrence, who will tell us like, okay, that looked really well. That worked out great. I loved how it felt. He can kind of let us know if it elicited any response in him. But a lot of at-home practice, talking to myself out loud. I do it in the car. I know people <laughs> driving past me probably think I'm insane. But, yeah. So are you going to need therapy after all this? Playing so many different characters in a short span of time? I'm in therapy now. <laughs> I was like, who doesn't need therapy? Right. 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 Seriously, though, uh, Raquel, do you have any insight just based on, you know, research why the playwright Lisa B. Thompson chose such a convention? I mean, off the top of my head, I would consider budget. If you had to have 18 different characters, the, the budget cost goes up. But do you have any insight into that? No, I don't have any personal insight, even though I am stalking her on social media. So <laughs> hoping to get her out to the show, honestly, and we'll see how that goes. I can only infer what, like as someone who, like I write poetry, which is different than playwriting, but from thinking about it, I think it's because she wants to focus on the single Black women. I think that's the story. And so when we have all these other characters introduced, it becomes more about all these people instead of being about these two women who are letting you into their lives and trying to describe what it is to be a single Black woman in America. And I think when you cut away a lot of the fluff, you focus on what the true story is, what the true message is. Because a lot of these characters are there for not even a whole page. Right. Sometimes it's not even a paragraph. So them being a person, like a physical person, is unnecessary. And I think when we play against each other, one of us playing one character and the other one playing themselves, you're focusing more on the story and the point versus, oh, look at this actor. Oh, look at this character. It's more about what we're trying to say in the story. In the interest of full disclosure, I have seen this play with Sunita many moons ago. It's been a minute, Sunita, since we've caught up. And do you have any changes in the script or anything that may have been updated from a contemporary reference standpoint that you want to highlight? No, the script is exactly the same as it was, and we're doing it to the book. So the great thing about the writing is that it is timeless in a sense that the theme, as Raquel was saying, the point, the message is still relevant today. I know when we did it with Black Theater Troupe, we did update some of the references. We're not doing that this time. I'm playing a different character this time around, but the text is the text and we're going to do yes. it justice. I will say, because I did not get, and I wish I had seen the other version, but I do know that our version's a bit culled down as far as the staging and the lights and on all that spectacle that you get in normal shows. Right. We're doing OP practices, which is original staging practices that they did with Shakespeare's time. So we're trying to use that across the board. You're not going to get a bunch of fancy lights or a big old set. You literally have to focus on us and the words. We're going to have some props and we're going to have a little bit of costume changes. 
but it's not going to be that big spectacle. You're going to see us. You're going to have to listen to us. You're going to have to connect to us and the language. And I think that's a way that it's a little bit different than the past, but also really exciting too. Single Black Female by playwright Lisa B. Thompson. Run dates start May 12th in Phoenix, and that'll run through the 14th and then up to Flagstaff on May 19th through the 21st. Sanita Agent and Raquel McKenzie, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. You can find out a bit more about Single Black Female on our website, word.kjzz.org. We'd like to thank the members of KJZZ who provide monthly sustaining gifts of support. Now it's your turn. Please become a member by clicking on the Donate tab at kjzz.org or on the mobile app. Whatever is in your budget is the right amount. Maybe that's $10, $15, or even $30 a month. We appreciate your support of public radio. Portions of Word have been nominated for Edward R. Murrow and Public Media Journalists Association Awards. We're back at the end of May with our penultimate episode for this season. I'm Tom Maxinon, and thanks so much for listening. Word. Word? Word. What's the word? Thanks for listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts.